you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. We're continuing our series in 1 and 2 Peter, and it's been a very challenging series, a very good study. Uh, we've, in, we've enjoyed it. I hope you've enjoyed it as well. Uh, but if you've missed any part of it, let me just catch you up kind of where we've been. Uh, first week, uh, Barry spoke on this, hope in the midst of suffering. And I'm still a little upset at that because that's technically what I'm going to talk about, and I can't use the same sermon title. So we're going to adjust it a little bit, but that's okay. Uh, but we talked about hope in the midst of suffering. The second week, we talked about turning being a Christian from a label to a lifestyle. How does being a Christian change the way that you live? And then last week, we talked about the ever-so-popular topic of submission. Right? We all enjoyed that. It was just like, I, I remember sitting in here and it was like pins and needles. Like it was just, it was something. We talked about submission. And Barry made a joke uh, last week that he was going to pawn last week's topic off to one of the other pastors. You know, just because he's like, I should have gotten away on vacation this week and let one of the other pastors deal with it. Well, I'm still a little bit bitter because... He left, and he left me with a chapter and a half on suffering and said, here you go, 25 minutes to talk about a chapter and a half on, you know, another heavy topic, which is suffering. So thanks, Barry, if you're watching. Um, I really appreciate it. He's actually down in Atlanta right now. He just did his son's wedding yesterday, which is actually really, really cool. I uh, love that opportunity. So today, if you're taking notes, First and Second Peter, our topic is this, suffering, a change in perspective. A change in perspective. Peter spends a whole chapter and a half on this idea of suffering. And what I propose and what I want to bring to you is that he's talking about changing our perspective when it comes to suffering. Yesterday morning, I was kind of working through my message at the breakfast table. And the whole family was around. Uh, if you don't know my family, uh, my wife, Britt, is over here. And I have two kids I have Addie, who is four years old, and Judah, who is two years old. And so we were all at the breakfast table, and I was kind of talking through what God had laid on my heart and kind of working through what I was going to speak today. And if you know my daughter, she may be four years old, but she's not four years old. Uh, I'm convinced she's a 16-year-old trapped in a four-year-old's body. And so we're talking through some things, and kind of when there was a lull in the conversation, she looked at me, and she's like, Dad... What is suffering? And I was like, okay. How do you answer that question for a four-year-old? And again, she's, like I said, she's a 16-year-old trapped in a four-year-old's body. So a very intelligent question. But what it did for me was I, I'm speaking on this, and I couldn't, like, somehow give her an answer yesterday. I'm like, well, this is bad news. How am I going to be able to speak to this tomorrow if I can't even answer my daughter who's asking a very basic question? But what it did was it framed something for me. She wanted to know what suffering was because she hasn't fully experienced it. As a four-year-old, suffering seems foreign to her because she can't wrap her small, innocent, four-year-old mind around something that she's never really experienced. It seems like so foreign to her because she is so young and so fairly innocent and she hasn't had a lot of life experience. But we know that with age and with experience, 
that the reality sets in that suffering is just a part of life, right? Suffering is a part of the fallen world that we live in. And we who are older, just it comes so naturally. And it comes over time to where we don't really know what it is because we haven't experienced it to when we're thrown right into the middle of it. So to begin this morning, I'm going to define suffering because my daughter asked me yesterday and I couldn't give her an answer. It's this, the experience of pain or distress, both physical and emotional. The experience of pain or distress, both physical and emotional. How many of you have been there? Yeah, I think more than a few of us have been there. Someone said it this way as I was reading this week. To become a Christian is not to escape from suffering but to be able to bear suffering with dignity and with hope. Let's just sit there because we're going to come back to it in a little bit. To become a Christian is not to escape from suffering, but to be able to bear suffering with dignity and with hope. I want to preface this message with a couple things because this is a big topic and I've got 25 minutes, so I want to just preface it with a couple things. First, my aim is not to minimize or downplay suffering. My aim is not to minimize or downplay any suffering that you maybe currently are experiencing or have experienced in the past. Know that I am not coming in to this conversation almost like Maui in Moana. Toughen up, buttercup. This is the big leagues. Let's go. I'm not trying to come at it this way, okay? I don't want to downplay because I know that there's people in this room that are enduring situations that they didn't choose to endure, I know that there are situations in their life that have come and they are hurting deeply and they have no idea why. I know that that's a reality of the fact. So before we get started, here's what I want you to hear is that if you're experiencing suffering or if you have experienced suffering at any level in your life, you may not understand why, but understand who is with you. God is still present even in the midst of your suffering. And this is a very important thing just to remember. I've heard this before and I've experienced it is that there's a cycle in life. And the phrasing is always like this. You're either in the middle of a storm, you're just coming out of a storm, or you're about to head into a storm. And this is kind of the cycle of life. And I think suffering is the same way. Either you're in the midst of it now, you're just coming out of it, or you're about to head into it. This is the reality of living in a fallen world that is riddled with sin. So no matter what season you find yourself in, Understand that you may not fully get it, but God is still present in it. Secondly, I want to do this before we start. I want to define two categories of suffering because it's a wide topic. We're going to narrow and we're going to talk about a specific category of suffering. There's two categories that I see. There's direct and indirect, and I hold them loosely, but this is what I mean. Direct suffering is suffering that comes due to sinful behavior. Direct suffering comes from sinful behavior. On the opposite side, there's indirect suffering that comes due to a sinful enemy. There's suffering that comes due to a sinful enemy. There are times in our life where we inflict suffering on ourselves because we reject and we rebel against God's instructions. We are sinful people with a sinful nature and we are going to screw it up sometimes. And that suffering is almost self-inflicted 
because we know what God expects, we know his instructions, and we decide not to. And God tells us this in his word, that disobedience and sin, when we reject his instructions, it comes prepackaged with a consequence. And that is suffering that you just sometimes have to deal with, and it's self-inflicted. But this is not the suffering that we're going to talk about this morning. I'm not going to talk about the suffering for when you mess up and you sin against God's instructions. We want to talk about the second category, the indirect suffering that comes due to a sinful enemy. Because in other circumstances, suffering comes because we are in a war with darkness. And we have an enemy that is looking to steal, he is looking to kill, and he is looking to destroy us because we are followers of Jesus. And when we live for God and we follow his instructions and we do everything we can to do good and to share the gospel, there is suffering that comes just because we have an enemy. There is suffering that comes just because we have an enemy. And it can be traced back to the fact that the enemy is trying to destroy God's prized possession, which is his children. This suffering is what I want to talk about this morning. This is the suffering that I believe that Peter is talking about in chapters 3 and 4 of First Peter. So this morning we don't have time to read the entire passage. Like I said, it's a chapter and a half. And if I started now, we'd read through it. And then I'd say, all right, time's up. Uh, go for it. And so we're not going to do that. What we're going to do is we're going to actually just highlight some main points and a few verses in this text. But here's my encouragement is that you go back this week and you read all of chapter three, all of chapter four. Actually, probably the best thing to do is to read it all in one sitting. Chapters one all the way through chapter five of first Peter so you can get the whole, whole thing. But let's give some context before we dive into these little highlights We've said this before, Peter is writing to Jewish Christians who are in exile. They're scattered across Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And he talks a lot about suffering in this book as a follower of Jesus, but I want you to get this. It's not always physical suffering or physical persecution. As I was reading, I was studying this week, here's what I found is that some of the suffering that these Christians are enduring is more verbal and it's more social. So being named as a Christian and being a proclaimed follower of Jesus, you endured some verbal persecution and suffering, but you were also socially discriminated against. There was a society that was fully against Christians, and so you found yourself being an outcast for being a follower of Jesus. And in some ways, uh, it can be harder to have some social persecution than maybe even some physical so in this time period, Christianity was under a great threat, mostly because of the verbal and the social persecution. And so Peter, specifically in these two chapters, is calling Christians in the culture to see suffering in a different light. He's giving us the reality that suffering is going to come, but we need to change our perspective when it comes to suffering. And so I've got three things that I want to pull out for you about a change in perspective when it comes to suffering. The first is this. Suffering is an opportunity to experience blessing. Suffering is an opportunity to experience blessing. In 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 14, Peter says this. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, 
always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Suffering is an opportunity to experience blessing. Now, I'm not saying that we go crazy and we start inviting suffering into our lives. I think Barry used this about a month ago. We actually caught a a gif of it. Uh, He did this whole like motion thing about like riding on a Peloton. And he's like, I love riding on a Peloton. No, you don't. Yes, you do. That kind of thing, right? When we ride, when we exercise, when we exert suffering on ourselves in that sense, right? It's not always fun. And so Peter isn't saying here, hey, invite this suffering into your life and be, put a smile on your face and be this weirdo that enjoys suffering. What he wants you to do is he wants you to see that suffering for righteousness sake brings blessing in the long run. And that's the key. Suffering for righteousness sake. It's not just suffering for anything, but it's suffering for something. And in this case, it's for living for Jesus. So if suffering is an opportunity to experience blessing, then how? How do we experience this blessing? And I think Peter gives two ways for us in these four verses. The first is found in verses 14 through 16. It's an opportunity to experience blessing because we can share the hope that is within us. We can share the hope that is within us. These verses are often used as the classic apologetic or evangelism verses. Verses 14 and 15 where it says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is within you. And don't get me wrong, those are great evangelistic and apologetic verses, and I think we need to keep them there and handy. But the context is this. It's in the context of suffering. It's not just at any moment that you should be prepared to give a defense for the hope that's within you. It's when you are suffering, when you are being slandered, when people are coming against you. And here's the cool thing. Peter is telling us that we should not suffer as non-believers do. We as Jesus followers suffer differently. Others should look at us in the midst of our suffering and they should be like, why do you have this like, hope and this, and this positive outlook on suffering? I don't understand it. Why do you have hope and how do I get it? Because non-believers, in their mind, they suffer for no reason. But we suffer for something else. And that's why Peter exhorts us to be prepared to share the hope that is within you. And he uses a couple key words here. He says to do it with gentleness and respect. And we see that modeled in the life of Jesus. Jesus, who suffered on our behalf, the one who suffered, the the righteous for the unrighteous, gentleness and respect, didn't open his mouth, say a word when he was being persecuted, when he was being ultimately nailed to a tree for our forgiveness. He did it with gentleness and respect. Which actually brings me to the second way that we can experience this blessing. The first way is that we can share hope. The second way is this, that we can share in Christ's sufferings. 
even just a little bit. We should count it a blessing to suffer even a fraction of what Jesus went through in order to reconcile us to himself. We should count it a blessing. If you look through the New Testament, you're gonna see stories of the apostles and the disciples who after Jesus had already been crucified and rose from the dead, they, they recount stories of those who were killed for being Jesus followers. You can read all of them, and, and most of them were killed in very gruesome ways. The other thing that I think of is uh, one of my assignments as a kid uh, from my parents was to read missionary biographies every summer. That was our thing. We had to read at least a, one missionary biography every summer. And I remember reading some of these missionary biographies, even as a kid, and reading the stories of what would happen when they were ultimately put to death for being a missionary in a third world country. One of the ones that sticks into my mind more, more and more uh, was the missionaries in Ecuador. Why am I drawing a blank? And I didn't even write it down. The Elliots, thank you, thank you, I appreciate that. Remember that story? How they were reaching these, these tribal Indians and yet they were ultimately killed by those same people. The other thing I think about is, is throughout the Reformation, you hear stories of these reformers who were so zealous for Jesus and for his word, and they would go to their deaths, they would be burned alive, choked to death, whatever, and they would go to their death singing hymns, praises, because they counted it worthy to die for Jesus. This is a way that we can even just count it a blessing to share in the same suffering that Christ did. Another reason why we count suffering a blessing is that we know the end of the story. And this is why we suffer differently than non-believers. I want you to get this because I think this is important. Non-believers suffer in this life just a fraction of what is to come for them. Okay? Okay? For those who have not placed their faith and trust in Jesus, the suffering in this life is only a fraction of what's to come. Eternity separated from God in a place called hell. But yet Christians, what we suffer in this life is only a fraction of what Jesus went through so that someday we don't have to suffer. Do you see that dichotomy? Non-believers don't suffer the same that we do. And this is why we... we are called to evangelism to reach people for Jesus because we want to snatch as many people as we can from hell. But yet we look at suffering and we say, oh, it's only a fraction of what Jesus went through. And guess what? I have no suffering to look forward to someday. And that's going to be a good day when we get to experience no suffering. So first, suffering is an opportunity to experience blessing. One, to share hope and two, to share in Christ's sufferings. The second point is this, and it's found in chapter four, verses seven through 11. Suffering is an opportunity for us to use our gifts for one another, to use our gifts for one another. Starting in verse seven, it says this, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, here it is, 
Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. There's a reason that in 1 Corinthians, Paul calls us the body of Christ. We are different parts with different functions, but we are ultimately one body. When suffering comes in part of the body, the rest of the body is there to steward their gifts as means of grace to those who are suffering. And Peter reiterates this need to use our gifts even if we are enduring suffering. Suffering will not lessen as we near the coming of Jesus. Do you understand that? Like we're not going to get to a point where we're, we have less suffering than now. It's only going to get worse the closer we get to when Jesus comes back. And so if it's only going to get worse, how are we using our gifts to minister to one another in the suffering? Peter isn't telling his readers to just sit in a room and pray and look up to heaven and wait for Jesus to come back. He's not even telling his readers to avoid suffering at all costs. No, no, no. He says, continue to extend the grace that has been shown to you by using your gifts to minister to others. That's the value of the body. He gives a couple different things. He says, one, be self-controlled. Two, be sober-minded. But he also said to love one another because what? Love covers a multitude of sins. He says to show hospitality to one another. And then he divides it into, into two broad categories of gifts. Some of you have speaking gifts and some of you have serving gifts. Whatever gift you've been given, use it. Speak encouragement into someone who is suffering or serve someone who's enduring suffering. Use your gift for the benefit of the whole. And the last part of this is this. Peter gives the end goal. It's not for self-glorification. No, it's that God may be glorified through Christ. Us using our gifts and stewarding this grace that has been given to us is ultimately going to bring glory to Jesus. So Peter helps reorient our posture. This is not about us. This is all about him. We are stewards of God's grace. So suffering is an opportunity to experience blessing. It's also an opportunity to share and use our gifts for one another. The final thing Peter talks about is this. Suffering is an opportunity to trust God and give him glory. And this is probably the most important one in my opinion. Sir, suffering is an opportunity to trust God and give him glory. At the end of chapter four, starting in verse 12, he says this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised. Suffering's coming. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. 
I'm gonna jump down to verse 19, it says this. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. In this section, Peter is communicating this idea of perseverance, of endurance. Don't be surprised when suffering comes. You see, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. Suffering is going to come. It comes as a part of being in a sinful world. And too often when suffering comes, here's the questions we ask, and you're probably gonna know the questions that you ask, because I ask them all the time. When suffering comes, here's what we ask. Where are you, God? Aren't you here? We say, why wouldn't you allow this suffering? Or why would you allow this suffering in my life? Don't you care about me? And when will you take this away? That seems to be a common refrain, at least for me, when I endure suffering. And what it reminds me of is actually Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. It says that Paul pleaded with God to take away this thorn in the flesh. And it says he pleaded with him three times, God, take it away, take it away, take it away. And what is God's response to him? Guess what, Paul? My grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. Can we acknowledge for a second that we are finite beings with finite minds and we don't always understand God's ways? And maybe that's a good thing? Because if I could understand all of the infinite, then that would make me God. And I'll tell you what, I make a terrible God. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses eight through nine, he, God says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Acknowledge the fact, understand the fact, be okay with the fact that we don't understand his ways. But here's where Peter comes in and he says, guess what? This is an opportunity for you to trust God and give him glory. Verse 19, I love how he finishes with verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, here it is, entrust their souls to a faithful creator. In Psalm 139, you know Psalm 139, right? talks all about how we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are intricately woven in our mother's womb. God created us on purpose for a purpose. We can trust him. He's never let us down. And like I said at the beginning, even if you don't know that he's there, he is. Even when you feel like he's left you alone in your suffering, he hasn't. Because we can trust our faithful creator and ultimately what we can do is we can go one step further and we can give him glory even in the midst of the suffering. So as we close it out, it's a lot in a fire hose. If suffering is inevitable and will only intensify as we near Jesus' return, how do we live in response? My argument is this, we see suffering and we change our perspective about it. One, it's an opportunity to experience blessing. Two, it's an opportunity to steward our gifts 
And three, it's an opportunity to trust God and rely on him. I'm gonna come back to that quote that I had at the beginning. To become a Christian is not to escape from suffering, but to be able to bear suffering with dignity and with hope. There's a quote by Jackie Hill Perry that I read a while ago, and I think it's fitting for today. And I'm gonna say it twice because it's really that good. If God is holy, then he can't sin. If God can't sin, then he can't sin against you. And if he can't sin against you, shouldn't that make him the most trustworthy being there is? Let me say it again. If God is holy, then he can't sin. We would all agree with that, amen? If God can't sin, then he can't sin against you. And if he can't sin against you, shouldn't that make him the most trustworthy being there is? That rocked me a little while ago. Because there's no evidence that says that God will ever fail me or God has ever failed me. He's a trustworthy being. He's a faithful creator. He is a good father. I want to close it out with this. Because you can end a topic of suffering and it can be really glim and bleak and, you know, that's the reality of suffering. But I said at the beginning that we don't suffer the same way that others suffer as followers of Jesus because we know the end of the story. And this is the end of the story. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. And I'm just going to take my sweet time in reading this because it's so good. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. As if that's not good enough, here's verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither, there, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said this, let these be our words that we cling to. Behold, I am making all things new. Behold, I am making all things new. Suffering is difficult. It hurts. It's painful. It's not pleasant. And like I said at the beginning, I'm not downplaying your suffering. It's hard. But it has a purpose. And there's an opportunity in suffering to change our perspective on it. Instead of seeing suffering as God being against us, what if you saw suffering as God being for us, giving us an opportunity to experience blessing, steward our gifts, and trust him and rely on him? So even though it's difficult, even though it hurts, we have a God who is good, and we know the end of the story. And here's what I don't want to do. I don't want you to dismiss everything that happens in this life because it's here for a purpose. 
So don't just try and get through it all and get to the end. Be patient through it. Know that it has a purpose, but ultimately do look forward to the day when he is going to make all things new. God, we're thankful this morning for your words in chapters three and four of 1 Peter. None of us likes suffering. None of us would like to invite suffering into our life. But yet we know that you use it for your good. So God, would you help us to see suffering in the right perspective? May we understand that it's an opportunity to experience blessing. It's an opportunity for us to use our gifts. It's an opportunity to trust in you and give you glory. And God, we're gonna, we're gonna look forward to the day when you are going to make all things new. And there will be no more suffering because we'll be in your presence. Come quickly, Lord, we long for it. It's in your name we pray, amen.